you've been rerouted. I'm your host, teacher, writer, and self-titled travel junkie, Emily. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and this podcast is for the wander woman in all of us. I'm here to explore all things travel and adventure through the female lens, shedding light on issues, sharing tips, and of course, storytelling along the way. Whether you're a nomad or a noob, I hope this show is a source of inspiration, giving you the tools you need to help you start your next journey, whatever that may be, confidently. And hey, in case no one's told you lately, you are brave, you are beautifully made, and you deserve the world. Today's episode is dedicated to my good friend, Jennifer Cunningham. Cunningham and I, or as we call ourselves, Cunning Juan, work closely together at Y.E.S. Middle School, and she has always been one of my biggest supporters and collaborators, and sometimes my co-conspirator. We also have a podcast together called Middle School Then and Now, which you can also listen to on Spotify at your discretion. In addition to teaching, Jennifer is also a wife and a mother to two, and she has recently made it her goal to see 40 new cities in her 40s, and she is getting after it, uh, having already been to Nashville, Alaska, Reno, and more. And in a few days, Cunningham will embark on her first major international trip to Ecuador. I am so thrilled for her and just know she will have an amazing time seeing the sights, experiencing the culture and trying all the food, including guinea pig. I can't wait to hear all about her adventure when she returns and possibly get an interview. Good luck, Cunningham. Have fun and don't forget to sit on the equator line so you can have one cheek in each hemisphere. Bon voyage. Hello again, friends. Shoot, it has been too long. Let me tell you, there have been so many days where I have tried to sit down and write this episode, but my problem is this. There is just so much I want to write about that I don't exactly know where to begin. From public transportation to English slang to the little observations I notice on the daily. I want to tell you everything, so bear with me because I may be talking about England for the next couple episodes. For those who don't know, I have been in England for the past three weeks in an area known as Peak District. It's actually the UK's first national park, which is what originally intrigued me. On a whim, with the help of a little wine, I booked an Airbnb for a month, without any real plans other than I was going to do some walks, relax, and get some writing done. This is not my typical travel style, not at all. Usually I have a detailed itinerary down to the hour with drive times, cost of transportation, and hyperlinks. So just deciding to buy a ticket and book a place and go was very out of my comfort zone. So why did I choose to do it that way? In part, it was because being in one place for an entire month meant I had plenty of time to take my time, to feel out the day, the weather, my mood, and go where the wind took me. Two, there really isn't a great deal of information about Peak District on the internet. It's a very old area with a fantastic history, but it also has a very old population. The locals here have roots that go back literally centuries. This is not like London where you're going to find people from all around the world and new people coming and going in and out all the time. These people are true locals, which means they don't have to post stuff on the internet about this place, and you don't get many tourists doing it either. It's all word of mouth and just local knowledge that comes from growing up here. 
I literally find out what I'm gonna do for the week from a bulletin board outside the primary school. So this has been a very different experience for me in so many ways, and I'm so eager to jump right in and start sharing with you all the things. Today, I'll be talking about my personal experience as a solo traveler jumping or maybe slowly dipping my toes into England, as well as my top five things I have a love-hate relationship with here. It's a little bit of motivation and a little bit of humor, so stick around to the end. It all starts right now. All right. Imagine you're 12 years old again, and you're at a community swimming pool. It's a warm day, and the pool looks fantastic. Everything about it screams, jump in. It's inviting, it's refreshing, it's going to feel so good, you just know it. And if you take a good look around you, you will see kids going for it, taking a running leap into the water, others doing backflips off the diving board, and that looks fun too. A friend grabs your hand and says, come on, let's go. You smile and take off with them, feet racing on the hot concrete to the edge of the pool until your friend counts one, two, three, and leaps in. But your feet stay planted. As if there's an imaginary weight in the pit of your stomach holding you down. You just can't do it. Your friend gets out of the water, annoyed, and you try to explain, without looking like a total wimp, that you're just not ready. I think many of us have been that kid. The kid that needs to ease into the water inch by inch, slowly adjusting to the temp as you go rather than taking that running leap. This scenario is very similar to traveling to a new place. Some people are ready to jump in right away, full immersion status, excitement dripping from their faces. Others will want to make a little hovel in their hotel room with the blinds shut and order room service. And I'm here to tell you that either response is okay and perfectly normal. And especially if you're traveling with somebody else, it's important to understand that they might not respond the same way as you. Culture shock isn't always the shock you think it's going to be. It may not come from the outside. It can come from within. The feeling of being somewhere new can be triggering, not necessarily because you're adverse to the actual culture that surrounds you, but because you're no longer present in your own. And honestly, if anyone tells you that they've never felt culture shock before being in a strange place, then they are probably a narcissist. Because culture shock means that you're not acknowledging that there's a way of life different than you've ever experienced, and that it's not wrong. In England, they walk and drive on the left, which means I'm constantly running into people and narrowly missing getting run over. Not wrong. In Ecuador, they eat guinea pigs. Not wrong. In Colombia, there is no such thing as lines. It's very hard for me to reconcile with, but again, it's not wrong. Being somewhere new can be weird. This can leave people with a feeling of travel vertigo, and the adjustment time period is different for everyone. And the thing is, you don't know how you'll react until you get there. You may think you're going to be someone that jumps in only to find that you actually need some time. And on the opposite side of the coin, you may think you're going to need time and find something just clicks over in your brain and you're ready. It doesn't matter how many places you've been, how often you travel, or how old you are either. The urge to self-isolate can spring up at any moment. So here I am, a quote-unquote travel expert in England in a country that speaks English and exhibits many of the same features of Western culture that I'm familiar with. And I'm telling you, it took me way longer to adjust than I previously thought. 
I had jet lag really bad, which meant I wasn't sleeping or eating very well for a few days. I was a little bit regretting my decision to come and couldn't work up the nerve to go further than the end of my street. I think my Airbnb host was a little bit concerned about me, actually, because she came down and brought me some herbal tea and a flyer to a village event, almost like a hint, like, hey, you need to get out of the house. And I'm really grateful for that because that day I went to the bus station and I got a bus pass. It was a small trip, maybe 20 minutes, but it fulfilled a small checklist item and it got me out. On top of that, having the bus pass made the access to public transportation so much easier and took away the stress I was feeling about counting out foreign currency on the bus. And finally, since the bus pass did cost me, I had to justify the cost by actually using it. So the next day, I got on the bus and I went somewhere. I ended up choosing a hiking trail nearby as my first move and followed a sign that I thought was a footpath sign clear to Neverland and wound up walking 13 miles down the side of the road in the rain. But that's a different story and a completely separate failure. So why am I telling you this? I am definitely not trying to ruin my credibility as a travel expert. The thing is, I want to share these things with you so that if you feel out of place, you know that it's normal. It's normal to make mistakes and feel frustrated with yourself. It's normal to be embarrassed. It doesn't make you a bad traveler or a coward. It makes you human. And maybe that's why people fall in love with traveling, because how often do we get the opportunity to make complete asses of ourselves in a beautiful setting and kind of have it not matter? Embarrassment, excitement, anxiety. I felt all three. I felt them all at the same time. And you might too. Your feelings are valid because this is your experience and no one else's. So if I had to graph these past 18 days, it would look like this, day one through five. Day one through five would be me slowly sinking into England and having long pep talks with myself in my journal at 2 a.m. because I can't sleep. Day six through 12 would be me figuring out everything, the bus routes, the layout of the town, the currency, which places have Wi-Fi, where to find information when you need it, making a list of what to see, and also making a lot of mistakes and getting really lost too. Day 12 through 18. I do longer trips now outside of the Airbnb. I have a running path and get this, people ask me where things are and I help them. It's crazy. Yesterday, I took my first Uber ride by myself to a salsa event on the other side of town, which, you know, if we were back home, maybe that doesn't sound like such a big deal, but it was to me. The whole way there, I was legitimately terrified. Terrified that I got the address wrong, terrified that I'd get there and no one would be there, and I would have no Wi-Fi to call another Uber. Basically, I was envisioning myself getting kidnapped and sold into sex trafficking. I have a very over, overactive imagination sometimes, but I got there and it was amazing. It was one of the best things I've done on this trip. Some of these anxieties do stem from the fact that I am a female traveling alone and there are certain things women just know they have to be more fearful of, unfortunately. And this does present some added challenges that our male counterparts do not have to face as often. It's why every time I've told someone I'm here by myself, they say, wow, you're so brave. And you know what? I usually brush that compliment off, but damn, I am brave. But not because I'm out here in England by myself. I'm brave because I'm willing to be embarrassed, to make mistakes, and to show humility. I'm brave because I left my Airbnb. And you're brave too. I think as women, 
when someone tells us we're brave or strong, we naturally shrug it off and say something like, no, I'm not. I'm just blank. I'm just doing my job. I'm just being a mother. I'm just doing what I have to to stay afloat. We can't allow ourselves to believe we are brave or strong because bravery and strength are not two words typically associated with our physiques. And what we do on a daily basis is not valued as such. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but if you identify as a sister in this world, whether you are young, old, trans, gay, straight, just know you are a badass and you are very, very, very brave. We're going to take a quick break. When I get back, I'm going to share with you my top five things I have a love-hate relationship with here. So stay tuned. Okay, we are back. And in this part of the episode, I'm going to share some things about England that I both love and hate. Don't get me wrong, England is a fabulous country, but no country is perfect. Also, please be forewarned, most of this is first world problem type stuff. I know I'll probably come across sounding uber American and entitled and privileged, but it's all in good humor. So let's get to it. Love hate number one, the bathrooms, or as the British say, the toilet. I will never get used to asking for the toilet instead of the bathroom. I feel like a trucker every time I say it. I guess it makes more sense than asking for the bathroom when there is legitimately no bathtub in the bathrooms, but I digress. What I love about British bathrooms is that I never, not once, since I've been here, have had to wait in line to use one. It's incredible. In America, it doesn't matter where you go, there is always a huge line for the women's restroom. Here, no one. Ever. Perhaps it's because British women are just more efficient with their use of time in there. No funny business going on, just do the deed and get on with their day. And I really respect that because I too am a woman who prides herself on her efficiency. Perhaps it's because British women are too proper to use public restrooms and can hold it for an insurmountable amount of time till they get to the privacy of their own home. Or perhaps it's because you have to pay to use them. Yes. It's never much, maybe 25 shillings or so, but by the time it takes me to fish out my wallet, find the right coin, and use it, and then wait for the automatic doors to open, I am literally sweating. I might as well have been waiting in line. Also, can we talk about how everything is contactless? How and when did this happen? I don't know if it's because of COVID, but it makes me feel like America is really behind because it's everywhere. The dryers, the soap dispensers, the water faucets in the bathrooms for one, but also every bus and point of sale cash machine has a contactless scanner. This makes buying things so efficient. I'm noticing efficiency is highly prized here. You could literally come to England and never have to actually withdraw cash, which is amazing. But like a lot of things that are automatic, they just don't work all the time. And if I have a pet peeve, it's soaping up my hands and then waiting there forever with my hands under the faucet for that damn sensor to work. Love, hate, number two. Public footpaths. Public footpaths are exactly what they sound like. They are trails that the public has access to. They may lead from one street to the next or they may lead through someone's farm which in a way is so cool because if you are doing a lot of 
walking like me, these footpaths might provide a great shortcut and it also makes it so you don't have to walk along the side of the road. However, (laughs) these public footpaths are not on Google Maps. They're not marked. There's no sign that says where they lead or how long they are. And usually the footpath itself is so grown over that you don't know which direction you're supposed to be heading. I suppose this is all in the Growing Up in England guidebook that I never read. And there's a very UK system that everyone just knows instinctually, but I don't understand. I've taken some of these public footpaths before. And it turned out to be great. There was a gate on the other side. I could see it. I got through it just fine. But other times, and I mean several other times, I have taken these footpaths thinking I'm going to get somewhere only to find that there's no exit point. It just led to a fence line and I had to backtrack. I've taken a few photos of some of these public footpath signs actually, and they're hilarious because the public footpath sign isn't even visible under the mountain of brush. So I don't know how how anybody's going to walk through that. And what really gets me, though, is that sometimes they go through the effort to put them in places like Mam Tor, a very popular hike in a national park that hundreds of people walk every day. And then off to your right, you'll see a sign that says public footpath. And I'm like, but isn't this whole thing a public footpath? Like, what what does a public footpath entail and why does it need to be there? And if you're going to go through the extra effort of putting one on a hiking trail, why not just tell us where it goes? It makes me question every street or path I go down now. Like, if it isn't specifically marked as a public footpath, does that mean it's not for the public? Because I did that. I was trying to get from, from one road to another. So I took a route and the route that showed up on Google Maps. It didn't say a private road, just a normal street, looked like it went through a neighborhood, and two people were totally side-eyeing me, and they go, hey, can we help you? This is not a public footpath. So somebody, anybody, please explain what these things are. What, why are they here? And are they just here to confuse tourists? Because if so, it's working. Love, hate number three. The alcohol selection. Okay, IPAs here. They are not IPAs. They are juice, maybe comparable to a cider or a sour, but not a true IPA. I've had one brand that I'd go as far to call sufficient, and that was Beavertown Neck Oil. Apparently, the Brits refer to our kind of IPAs as West Coast IPAs, so you have to look for that specifically. Other than that, the alcohol selection here is pretty banging. I mean, there is a pub in every village. It's basically the community center of the town, too, and sometimes doubles as a hotel, so you can get drunk off your ass and then sleep it off there. I haven't had too much wine here, but I love that when you order, they ask you if you want a small, medium, or large glass. Like, in what universe would you ever not pick a large glass? However, even though I'm a big-time wino, what I've actually been drinking a lot of lately is gin. If you've seen my Instagram stories, you'll already know that I have a gin and tonic probably every day. It's like the most refreshing thing. And when I went on the distillery tour, I learned a few things about the gin making process. It's actually the easiest of all the alcohols to make. It's even easier than brewing beer. And legally, it has to include juniper to call it gin. It's been around since 1689, and at one point, it was considered a hangover cure. 
That was in the 1920s. Love-hate number four, the buses. The buses and I, we have good days and we have our bad days, some of which I will admit is user error. I have gotten Buxton, Belper, and Bakewell confused and wound up on the wrong bus two or three times. But having been on over 30 bus rides now since I got my bus pass, I would say overall it's an easy system to navigate. It really is. The public transportation here is incredible, unmatched. And like I mentioned earlier, I love that they have a contactless option so you don't have to fiddle with coins. But also... (laughs) You kind of never know what kind of driver you're going to get, if the bus will be five minutes early, right on time, or an hour late. The times at the bus stop, online, and pamphlet are all different, so now I just walk down to the bus stop and pray that one will come eventually. I've had fast drivers, slow drivers, kind drivers, mean drivers, ones that have picked me up in the middle of nowhere, and ones that have driven right past me at the bus stop. And... Whoa, Nelly, did I go on an adventure with a bus driver today. There was construction happening in a village, so the street the bus would typically pick people up at was designated as a one-way. I don't understand what was going through the bus driver's head since the one-way direction was the direction the bus would normally go, but I think there was maybe more traffic or something, so the bus driver thought he'd be sneaky and go around and come in the other side. Except that when he did that, he was coming down the wrong direction on the one way. So he scrapes the side of a construction vehicle and a guy comes running out and he's like, hey, what are you doing? This is a one way. And all the people who are waiting to get picked up are standing there and the bus driver panics and takes up off into the hills of this village down some very narrow roads and me and the passengers on the bus were all bumping along on these rocky streets because the streets were intended for horses, not buses. And I'm like, holy hell, I am in the movie Speed right now. So there are good bus drivers and there are not so good bus drivers. It's really a Russian roulette or maybe a bussin roulette. Lastly, this is really just a love. I love the older generation here. They are so awesome. I cannot help but notice that the senior citizens of this country are out here living their best lives. They are at the bars later than me. They are drinking me under the table. They are at the stag do's and the hen do's. They're playing in bands, at festivals. They're filling the uncomfortable opera seats. And when I ride the bus back from Belper at 11 p.m., it's nothing but a sea of gray hair. What are they doing out that late? Tell me. They are doing things, that's what. They are drinking beer and laughing and making crude jokes, and I absolutely love that. Those are life goals. In truth, England has been fantastic. Despite the frustrations and confusions and the mild culture shock in the beginning, I have grown so comfortable in my little garden studio. It's been a peaceful refuge for me to write and reflect, as well as an amazing jumping off point to a lot of cool adventures in the area. I love that Peak District isn't overly touristy and that I'm constantly finding things unexpectedly. I never would have had the same experience had I done my normal thing, which would be to plan everything out in advance. I'm not saying this is going to be a norm for me going forward, but I think the next time I do travel, I need to make a little more room in my calendar for days to just wander, listen, and discover. for being here today. 
You've just listened to Rerouted episode 6. I shared a brief overview of what my adjustment to England has been like, and also some things I both love and hate about England. Next time, I'll be telling you all about Robin Hood, the man, the myth, the legend himself, and some sage life advice he gave me over a pint of ale. If you enjoyed today's show, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with a friend. You can also follow me on Instagram at Rerouted Travel, where you can reach out with any travel questions, episode suggestions, or feedback. Got a question about England? Leave a comment on my Instagram page and I'll do my best to answer. Goodbye, my friend. Until next time, stay hungry and humble.